Welcome to Oaken Bros. This is another installment of Oaken Bros. Titans of Travel. Could not think go right of into a, the intro, Eric. Don't introduce think us. Of, introduce this man here. Better, could not think of a better person to have on than Jim Wilkins. He is the epitome of a travel manager, and the type of travel that he did was 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 amazing because it was so mission critical. And Jim, I just want to mention, Jim is the former travel manager, right, of yep. Turner. And which encompasses CNN and all those very cool channels on yeah. TV, headline news, 11, and eleven different networks, and and part of Warner Media. It's yeah, crap. and what is so amazing about that is when like you guys go into the line of fire, right? And like, there's so few travel managers that actually handle travel like that like when there's a storm you guys go into the eye of the storm when there's a war you guys are going into the war yeah. how did you guys make this happen so you know it's an interesting question and and good morning it's a it's an honor to be part of the oaken brothers podcast because you guys are amazing thank you and thank and you. so my my days at turner uh let me back up and build up to that story uh I got into this crazy business 30 years ago, and it was a sheer mistake. Well, we can talk about that later. Uh, so I was in the airline business, and I have an aviation background. I, I've had a love of aviation since I was a kid. And um, I, I was recruited to go to work 13 years ago for Turner Broadcasting, which one of my reservations was uh, that I was going to work for a 24-hour news network Right. Um, I had very little quality of life. And I don't want to say that loosely uh, with my former career because I was on the road 250 days out of the year. So I was never home and I wanted to start a family. And so I saw the opportunity to join Turner and be at home more, sleep in my own bed more. Um, but it's a 24-7 news network. And um, so, yeah, CNN is just one of 11 networks that Turner Broadcasting, uh, Ted Turner, had founded back in the day. His legacy still is alive and doing well. And to answer your question, Eric, um, yes, most travel managers, besides the ones in the news cycle, have a fiduciary responsibility to get travelers and keep travelers out of harm's way, duty of care. Well, we had a distinct responsibility of doing that, but also putting people into the most dangerous, volatile situations you can imagine. So while I, I wasn't a travel manager at CNN because I left Turner Broadcasting at the end of last year, I haven't worked through what it's like to have a pandemic the way uh, we're, what we're in right, right now with COVID-19, but I've worked so many different pandemics. It's not even funny. It's, uh, it's really not. I've worked N1H1, I've worked Ebola, I've worked SARS, uh, you name it. And, and I was involved in, in all of them in my 13 years. So it, a lot goes upon, you have to have a policy that clearly spells out what travelers are allowed to do based on their profile settings. And so for a news gathering individual, uh, we have uh, a cruise made up of typically, it, back, back in the day, it used to be made up of about six or seven people would hit the road together. But as technology improved, we only needed, we could get by with three people. And that was one person in front of the camera, one person behind the camera, then person in front of the camera was the talent. The person behind the camera was, we call them PJs, a photojournalist, and then a producer. Uh, usually they'll bring along a fourth one to help schlep gear, lighting, and be the jack of all trades and stuff. But these crews would go into war zones. They would go into Ebola situations. They oh would God. go into handle school shootings. You name it. And every bad thing that happens in the world news coverage has to happen right and and so as um and not just in the us but this is globally um so yeah it it was a fine balance of making sure they had the right training making sure they had the right supplies making sure they had the right gear um i would send uh we would send people to a story they would think they would be gone for 3 to 4 days they'd be gone for 3 months oh no God. way yeah what was all about Jim, what was the hardest one you've done? What catastrophe, pandemic? What what was the absolute one where it was like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pull this one off? 
Wow. That, that, I, that I would have to, uh, and what I love about this show, it's not rehearsed at all. So you have, to, you have to think on your feet. Um, there, well, there's a couple I would categorize that. In yeah, sure. Ways. Give us your top five, like the, hardest things you've ever done at CNN. The most dangerous is putting individuals into a war zone. How, uh, because, hold, on, hold on one second. So how do you do that? So like, how, how do you put, like, you can't call the four seasons four, of Baghdad and say, four, yeah, how do you put yeah. those three or four people into Baghdad? Yeah. So, so there's, there's a few things that go into that. Number one, um, we would, we would leverage, um, our, we, we, we have, um, crews around the world and all the bureaus around the world. So the bureau that could reach the story first would be the one that would be, uh, would spring into action. So if that was in Baghdad, it would most likely be our Abu Dhabi office would go into that region and they have that type of training that they're used to dealing with more hostile situations than most. They probably have the most experience. So that's what it's geared off of is which bureau can get to the story first. And all uh, if you're going in the field, a, a news network will not put you in harm's way unless you have the proper training. Number one, hostage training, survival training, you no name way. it. God. Uh, so, so what war zones are probably the toughest to answer your question, because we also aren't just putting our news crews in a war zone in Baghdad. We might be putting someone into a war zone that happens, or maybe not necessarily a war zone, but potentially in, in, in the APAC region, uh, in, in, in Korea. Uh, so we know what correspondents can go into North Korea because Americans cannot. Um, and so our partners in the travel management field, and there's one individual, I'm gonna call him out right now. His name is John Race. He works at BCD Travel. This, this individual knows how to get people into war zones, wow. but more importantly, knows how to get them out uh, safely. And so what happens when a crew goes into a hostile situation like that is they employ people on the ground in that region, and we call them fixers. They fix situations that could come up. And then secondly, you have to have a solid policy that helps support uh, these individuals, when they're there, gives them ground intel, gives them uh, background about the embassies, gives them background. And so that is the security tools that we rely on heavily. And I'm not going to call out uh, a security tool that, that failed us one time, but we were with them for many years and they let us down when we were putting people, uh, when we were getting people out of the Ebola scare. Um, so we, we had to pivot, adapt and get a company that knew our business and didn't take it for granted. And so we went with a new security um, um, medical team that could give us that intel because that's, at the end of the day, data, intel is, is your biggest assets when you're going into these situations. This so, sounds like such a stressful position, oh, what you went through. Was, was the stress level at a 10, 24 hours a day? 24 seven. Yeah. Uh, Fidel Castro died 17 times and he always, he always <laughs> died on a Friday evening at 5 PM when I was getting ready to pack up and go home. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm kidding when I say he died 17 times, he, he, he actually only died once, but the news networks would get Intel out of Cuba and they would be like, we, we think, we think this is it. And so we would carry around a pre-described pamphlet of information about charters, about what hotels we were going to use what gear we needed, how many people. There was a uh, a manifest, so to speak, of what we needed to do for that. And, and so news networks, including my former uh, employer, has uh, they have shelved stories already ready to go because we, we also are responsible for as soon as something happens, when a president passes, a dignitary passes, uh, anything like that, we have to be ready to go to air immediately. So we, we already have, um, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of term, but we have death watches on, on all dignitaries. Um, and, and you have to have that. So you're prepared to go to air. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so important, but I mean, just your, your form of travel is so unique. And I just feel like people don't appreciate what travel managers do for corporations. And especially they don't even know what's being done behind the scenes at a news network to get you the news, to get you that one minute clip of, yeah. of something extraordinary. What goes on behind the scenes to actually make that happen? 
So yeah, yeah, it it does. It it takes a skill set that you 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 don't go to work for a company like that with all that I could go to work with another network and I would pretty much know what I had to do to make sure my house was in order to respond to these types of things. But as a new travel manager, if you're coming from manufacturing or pharmaceutical or any of the other industries, you have to learn. It's not a skill set you bring to a network. Right. Um, and I'll tell you another one that was uh, very challenging was an earthquake. We responded to an earthquake uh, in Haiti. And I want to say it was 4.59. It wasn't five o'clock on a Friday, but, and, and, and I might have the minutes wrong, but I'm telling you more news breaking stories happened on Friday afternoons I, yeah. than, than I care to even remember because we always had to be uh, on call. Uh, I, my phone had to be uh, next to me because you're not reading emails at three in the morning. So when something breaks, um, you're not looking at an email saying, oh, I got to, I got to, you know, jump into action. The producers would call you. And we have a special events sector of, of, of the company I worked for, for CNN that handles all remote broadcasts. What that means is they will mobilize a team to go shoot that story at a specific location, whether it be an earthquake, a war or whatever. Uh, and, and it could be good stuff. It could be the Queen's Jubilee. It could be the Royal Wedding. So they'll mobilize to do that broadcast. So they have all the necessary equipment. They have all the necessary technology. They have all the necessary people to be able to pull that broadcast off. And you can't just do it uh, in analog. In some parts of the world, there are analog feeds. You have to make sure you come with HD equipment because we're spoiled in the US and most parts of the world where you're not gonna wanna watch a grainy picture. You wanna watch a clear um, produced uh, clear picture. So you have to have all of that information and all that technology. So there, there's a, it's an army. And when CNN goes into the field, whether it be Katrina or Hurricane or the Haiti earthquake or a war zone, they 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 are prepared to have filter their own water, to have their own food, to have their own power, to have their own everything. They don't CNN does not rely on any natural resources that they have at their disposal. If they happen to have it, great, but they bring that in, like for Katrina. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. No, no, no. Just keep amazing. going. Amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm enthralled right now over these stories. I can hear this all day. Uh, Katrina was one that, uh, it was a hurricane that came on shore and it was devastating, but it wasn't the hurricane that necessarily was the story. It, originally it was. What what the story was, was the flooding afterwards and, and what that caused. And so we went and in. The response, and, the response you know, from the government. And the response from the government or the, you know, the slow response that was right. going on because they didn't know what was going on. And so FEMA jumps into action and news networks are usually the first one putting all of this on TV, getting exposure for that story. So government and uh, cell providers, power companies, they all can come in and, and get people's livelihoods uh, and also search and rescue, you know, when you have something like that. So during Katrina, uh, we knew that this was going to be a long-standing story. So our properties division of CNN, you know, they're properties guys. They help keep buildings up and running and stuff, but no, not at CNN. It takes an army. So it's not just travel managers and it's just not news crews, but there's support networks behind the scenes that are immense. And so our properties and security folks, because, you know, you need security when you go into a volatile situation, properties would drive trucks with with uh with fuel they would bring fuel trucks to be able to keep the generators going to be able to keep the boats we would rent boats rvs you name it we would and and travel was in the middle of all of that securing these resources so we would be we would go in and start assessing okay first thing first when a new story breaks you got to get people there whether it be ground or air so you get them there uh the second thing they need is the ground piece. If they're coming in by air, they need a vehicle. They need a car service. We'll get back to that point again about uh, car services, but they need ground transportation to get them to the story. They don't go to the hotel. They go right to a story. So then, the, the, so those are the first uh, three critical things. The next one that falls in place is they need a place to lie their head at night. So while all of those other triggers are happening, the air, the ground, uh, whether it be a rental car, whether it be a car service, um, then, then comes the hotel and you, you get the hotel and you're competing. So, 
how do you how did you get a hotel if there's no power? I mean, you know, what what do you do in a situation like that? Good question. We have a pre-described manual of hotels that have generators. We have oh, a we, we have hotels in our arsenal this is this is that weird. that we know what hotels have the right facing walls that are built out of brick. So when there's a hurricane, we know that we're not putting our people in harm's way because I had and other network travel managers have a duty of care not to put people in a dangerous situation. And you can't put them in uh, in a hotel with no no air conditioning or no electricity, or at least you try not to. So um, you 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 pick hotels that have uh, generators and uh, that they have wells. They don't rely on the city for water necessarily. So, so you know all of that information. And for hurricanes, we 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 go from all the way from Virginia Beach to Brownsville, Texas, and everywhere in between. We know everything in every state. So uh, let me go back to uh, Jim. Before you go back, before you go back, I, I want to just stay on this for real quick. Like one thing can go wrong on, on a BLS reservation, right? Like a, a, someone will press a two instead of a three. What would go wrong in in a day for you with hotel air? If you had to get a ground crew over to a, a hurricane devastation area in Texas, right. in Texas, you know, in the middle of September. Like what went wrong? Oh, it, Michael, Eric, there are so many things that went wrong, but you, you know what you do? You just, you, you, you pivot and you adapt right. and you jump into action. And I don't care if it takes you until three in the morning. There's been times that I've been woken up at 2 AM and didn't go to bed for 40 hours. Um, and, and it could have been in the office. It could have been at home, but the things that have gone wrong that we've had to correct was uh, the first one that comes to, to mind is we, we had boats because our anchors needed boats to be able to float around. So the boats, in, the boats, anchors. And, the boats and, anchors. Well, no, no, no. I'm, the I'm the anchor of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boats I, I, anchors. I walked right into that one. <laughs> but um, so we would have uh, these John boats that could go down the streets in, in uh, New Orleans and, and in other devastated areas. Um, that were neighborhoods. So you would have these boats and we would have the camera crews on the boats. And one time I remember Anderson Cooper, he actually cut his teeth. He was a field reporter during Katrina and he did such a good job that he actually landed a job as an anchor. And what I mean by that, an anchor is someone that hosts their own show. When you're a news broadcaster, where you're, whether you're a field reporter or you're someone that gets put into action to cover a story in front of the camera, you aspire to have your own show. And so Anderson was in, he was in waders in, in the water and the water was toxic. If you guys can remember back, there was water moccasins swimming in the water. There was animals swimming in the water. And so you, you have to make sure that the crew knows how to adjust and react. So what happened that we had to adjust, we had brought fuel into New Orleans in fuel trucks. Well, FEMA needed that fuel too. So they were confiscating our trucks. So what we had to do as a network is we had to think about, okay, how do we prevent that from happening again? So we would get a budget or a box truck, put a fuel tank inside it, and then drive it to New Orleans so they didn't know what was inside it. So we could fuel the boats. It's insane. Yeah. Other, <laughs> uh, other things, uh, other things, hotels, we would have evacuees we would be in this. This is just reality, and I'm I'm just telling you how it is. We would have evacuate evacuees that would come in, and even though we would contract or secure hotel rooms, if a hotel general manager or a front desk clerk has an evacuee with children, guess who they're going to give the room to? And we right. haven't arrived. We haven't arrived yet, so we would face that all the time. And I would always be sympathetic on that because, quite honestly, families, women, and children always come first always right. come first so they would get the rooms and we just have to find another hotel jim we once real quick story this you know i had to add this in there uh my mom dad eric and i we were flying to vegas once and we were over the rockies and um well anderson cooper was sitting right next to us you know he was literally and, and he had a paper upon takeoff and upon landing he was reading a newspaper uh, so he was going to do an interview with jerry seinfeld there was like a an anniversary in something vegas. in yeah. vegas at the coliseum and the plane was like this. The plane was bouncing up and down. The seatbelt sign was on. The, the, the flight attendants were sitting down. The plane was rocking. 
I was freaking out because I absolutely hate flying. <laughs> even even Eric was a little on edge. I remember you, Eric. You were you know you didn't like the way it was feeling. And Anderson Cooper was just sitting there reading his his paper, <laughs> looking at Eric and me like we were nuts. <laughs> looking at looking at me like I was nuts. Like just reading his paper and just turning over, you know, you know, and just reading his paper. You, you have to. This got to be. This is a special breed for this industry, right? Like I I I'm not going. I can't go to Baghdad. No offense. I I respect people who do. I can't go to where Ebola is. I don't want to go to my supermarket because of COVID. I'm not going to go to Africa because to cover the the, the Ebola outbreaks. Right. But what the do you world, need? The, the world needs need these in, people. No, yeah. I understand that. But what do you need in here? What what um, to, to do this? You 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 have to have a couple things. I would say um, one of the things that you had to have your mind right is number one, you chose that industry. So that's the first thing. Yeah. But so you have to have the <clears throat> right mindset. You, you also uh, want to put others before yourself to get a story. So that's another factor. I, I, I would say another one is you have to be part crazy. Uh, I, and, okay. and, you said and, it, not me. That's and, great. And, and so you really do. You you have to want to do all those things that I said, but you have to, you, it's adrenaline that brings you into that situation. And journalists are wanting to build their resumes and you can't build your resume and no, no, you know, going to the cover the PTA meeting at the local, you know, elementary school, isn't going to build your resume Nothing against elementary schools and PTAs, you know, that I uh, wouldn't do that now either. I wouldn't do that now either. Well, listen, you know, to to be honest, you know, there's there are very special people in the world. Right. And there's a reason why there's a LeBron James and an Anderson Cooper. They're they're at the top of what they do at what they do. Some sometimes it's beyond natural talent. Sometimes they just got it. Yeah, they 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 have and and going back to your story about Anderson Cooper about him being calm, he's yeah. been in he's been in more extreme situations. So a little turbulence is nothing to him. That, that wasn't he, a, that wasn't he, a little turbulence. That he, wasn't he, a little. Turbulence. It was a little turbulence, Michael. It, that was not yeah. a little turbulence. The plane was rocking. <laughs> we were we were going to fall out of the sky, and Anderson Cooper was reading the Financial Times. We, 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 we know you're a white knuckle flyer, Michael. So yes, I don't like to fly. <laughs> So switching gears a minute. So you also handled sports travel, right? Yes. Was that was that like were you doing that with your pinky? (laughs) You know, you're like ah, sports travel, whatever. Yeah. How does that compare compared to? It's funny. It's it's funny because they do compare, and and news will never admit that they compare. And I used to have this debate with my uh, producers and 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 senior leaders on on the news side. They'd be like, Jim, why are you comparing us to sports? Because it's not the same. They they know what game they're going to cover ahead of time. And I said, yes, you're right. So if we take NBA, for example, they know what the first four games are. Or if it's a, a series of five, they know what the first three game, two or three games they're going to, but then it becomes breaking news when you get into these other scenarios in NBA and baseball MLB, because uh, Turner sports covered, uh, we covered many, many different sports over the years. Ted Turner was the first one to put um, uh, NFL on, on uh, Thursday night. Nobody remembers that, but he was, it was always a Sunday sport, Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon sport. So Ted put that on air and did phenomenally well. And now networks sell it for billions of dollars for these TV rights. So news and sports, if I can solve things for news and sports as a travel manager, the rest of it is a piece of cake. I mean, the corporate traveler has no reason to complain if I'm handling the news and sports and the problems they bring to the table, then that's 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 gravy. But so what I mean by news and sports being the same is there comes a time where um, at the beginning of a normal MBA year, there there will be, uh, and TNT is the one that uh, produces and puts that on air, uh, one of the other networks I was speaking about. They would have an A crew, telecast crew, camera crew, because they all work together. There would be a B, C, and D. So A would be your most experienced and your most notable um, uh, broadcasters, uh, like a Marv Albert, uh, you, you know, you got Ernie Johnson comes to mind uh, and many others uh, in the sports realm. But so you would have these uh, all these different uh, talent, but they want to work with the same reporters, 
the same camera crews. So we would not know until the NBA season was done. And that usually was uh, in April, middle of April, right, right around tax day, uh, April 15th. We wouldn't know where those crews were going. So we'd have to have scenarios. Are they going to LA to cover a Lakers game? Are they going to uh, San Antonio to cover that series? Are they going to Milwaukee? Are they going to New York? Are they going to Miami? So in that regards, it is like breaking news. So it was similar. Then they, this crew would go to cover that series until they didn't know what city they were going to next. So we would have to negotiate contracts for hotels that had broadcast release clauses. So we would have to have any possible scenario out of the whole NBA, we would have to have every city covered, Chicago, Orlando, New York, LA, Phoenix, you name it, we had to have it all contracted. And as they would get eliminated, we would have a broadcast release clause that would say, okay, we're not coming to your hotel because that team has been eliminated. So we get out of that contract financially free. So the hotels, in order to get that sports business, they have to understand that it's it's it, it's a little volatile, and and I and you know no one wants to lose a piece of business, but a network isn't going to pay for rooms we're not going to consume, or at least that's what we try to do. That that brings me to my next question: uh, politics season, right? Like the, the election season. RNC, wow. DNC, RNC, keeping, DNC, keeping politics out of this. Yeah, no, no, this yeah. is not a politics question. This is. Yep. We're talking to the former travel manager for CNN, Eric. I mean, like, I want to know. I, no, I want to know. Uh, yes, like there was there was the hurricane season, right? There was sports season. What the hell was politics season like? So um, the, the politics season, as we all know, uh, for the presidential term runs every four years. Uh, senators and, and congressmen every two years. So there's uh, there's a presidential cycle that goes four. And the way the presidential cycle ramps up is uh, you start, you have a field of candidates. Let's just take this year is kind of a crazy year, but I'll use that as an example. No, it's not. No, we, it's, we, not. it's not a crazy year. I don't know what you're talking about. 2020? You, you know, it, it, we thought it was crazy when COVID hit and then it just oh, got crazier. God, it's going to get worse and, with this and, election. And then we thought COVID was gone and then it got crazier with, with all the other, uh, you know, stuff Shit, going on in yes. the world. And, yeah, exactly. So usually it's, you start with a field of candidates and, uh, this year, there was an incumbent party, the Republicans. So Trump was going to be rerunning. So the Democrats all lined up. And there, what was there, 35, 40 candidates? But they narrowed it down to about 20, 25. They got on stage and they did their debates and what have you. So then there's the debates. And then what happens is then you, you, you hopefully have a candidate where you don't have what we thought was going to happen in 2016 is a brokerage, a brokerage, a brokerage convention. And what that means is you don't have a nominee going into the convention. And the convention is for all the delegates to get together to get behind it and say, yes, these are the votes for our candidate. This is who's going to run for president. Mm -hmm. So, so the conventions come after the debates, then you have the conventions and then you have, once you have two candidates that are going to go head to head on either side, maybe even an independent that gets thrown in there, mm -hmm. but normally it's a, a de Democrat or Republican uh, that are going against each other. Then they have three presidential debates and one vice presidential debate. Mm -hmm. And then, the, and then we have election night. So election night is when we decide as a country. Then after that, we have inauguration. So in 2021, the inauguration will happen. And when Obama had his second term, he had uh, the, inaugura the inauguration date fell on MLK date. So we had to shift gears and, and he didn't want to have his inauguration to you know make sure we uh, paid our respects for Martin Luther King sure. and that holiday and what that's all about. So we had the inauguration uh, the next day. And so what happens after inauguration is we have a candidate, we have a president, that's going to run our country. Hopefully, mm -hmm. is the country is unified, and we're nothing but we're not uni unified right now. Not uh, so they, they, right. They, when November third comes around, it's going to be an important day to get out and vote and and, and decide on who who your next president's going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, so it will keep out of politics, uh, so to speak. Please. So <laughs> what I would do as a travel manager on the very next day after inauguration, I would start thinking where's my next convention going to be really so wow. i so if i was still at cnn 
on January 22nd, I, or 23rd, if it happened to fall on a weekend, I would take the weekend off. And then on that Monday, I would start saying, okay, what happened during the election night? Where did the candidates lose? What battleground states? That's where I'm going to focus. Wow. My, my thoughts would be on those battleground states that either the Democrats didn't win or the Republicans didn't win. And that's where the next convention most likely is going to be. So I start the next four-year cycle the, the day after inauguration. So I start because the conventions are the toughest. You, you're in a race with the parties to secure hotel rooms, and then you got to secure ground transportation. Then you got to secure everything else. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. So, so now well, before you ju jump in real quick, Eric, go, I'm go sorry for interrupting. This is not a political question. What was it like the night Trump got elected at CNN? Were you pulling an all night? Obviously, you pull an all night. I mean, I, I I was up all night that yeah. night. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I could I couldn't sleep. Right. So so we and not uh, a political like yeah. whether you want him there or not. Just I'm curious to know what was in in the war room of so, CNN so, like. So so we staff up uh, the war room. Uh, Atlanta is the biggest bureau for CNN, so obviously you're gonna have the most people there. But politics is anchored out of DC, so mm -hmm. you have different bureaus for different reasons. New York, D.C., and Atlanta are the three biggest in the United States. And then you have L.A. is probably the fourth largest. So you staff up those bureaus, uh, especially D.C. and Atlanta, probably some in New York. You have uh, you have where the party is at. So the, the Republicans for uh, for this election night will be in D.C. for the Republicans. For the Democrats, they'll probably be in Delaware, where Biden is, where, where Biden has anchored his uh, party. And so you staff up the bureaus you have uh, because people are working 24 hours a day, including the newsman, uh, the, 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 the travel manager. So I would literally pull an all nighter to find out what curveballs were going to be thrown my way, because there could be private charter requests that come up that they, they need to get a crew to this location because they didn't know what was going to happen. And to go back and address your question is. The, the country, I think even Trump was surprised he won. Um, so, so yeah, everybody had to pivot. And um, when when Hillary gave her concession, you know, when she conceded the, the race, uh, it was very close. And if I, memory serves me correctly, she won the electoral vote, but didn't win the- No, she uh, won the popular. She the, won the popular, the pop not right, the electoral. She, right. Yeah, the right. popular vote. So right. You're, you're right. I, I reversed that. Okay. Um, it seems like years ago. And so it was years ago, but eons ago, I should say. Yeah. And so she won the popular vote, but Trump won the electoral and that's why he became president. That's, that's uh, how it works. Yeah. So, so, so now, ahead, Eric, Eric, I'm sorry for so now, so now shifting gears. Now you're probably working, you know, 10 to two hanging out, <laughs> not doing much. No, I'm kidding. So what is your day now? Now you're no longer the travel manager there. And now what are you up to? That is such a great question. And um, so let, let me take you back to the beginning of Jim Wilkins' career in this crazy industry that we're all in and that we love. Um, I, I um, out of college, uh, I, I am from a family of six generations of entrepreneurs. My great grandfather brought a fresco painting business uh, from Florence, Italy, and uh, they they landed through went through Ellis Island and then landed just outside Philadelphia, and then my my great my grandfather brought the business down to Florida. So when I graduated high school, there was no expectation about me going to college uh, because no one before me did. Uh, none of my brothers. I'm one of five boys, and they all ju you just went to work for the family business. And uh, does that sound familiar, guys? We don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we don't. We don't understand family business at all. So, so, so anyway, it wasn't even a question. You just went to work for him, and I learned a skill and a trade that uh, I still use today, painting. But I absolutely, I respect what my brothers and grandfather and all of my family before me, what they did, painting ceilings in in churches and cathedrals in Florence, Italy. But I couldn't stand it. I hated painting. I hated the smell of it. I hated to get it on my hands. And so I respectfully bowed out and said, what do I do next? I got to go to college. So I went to school and I got out of college and I started an energy conservation company uh, that I fell into. 
um, with, with my with my family's help. They they got behind me and said, "Hey, listen, we want you to succeed, uh, but you took a route that is, is not like all others before you in our family." And so, I always had a love for traveling. My my father was uh, loved to travel. My mother loved to travel. We would get in the car and, and go places. We'd get on planes and go to the Bahamas growing up in Florida. Uh, we had boats when I was growing up. So I always loved to go places. So when I was running my business, I would always look on, hey, what's my next trip? Where am I going to go next? And so running my energy conservation company, uh, my banker would see my business would slow down in the wintertime. And he's like, hey, Jim, he goes, you know, I, you, you keep the road hot traveling, but if you like to travel so much, you should go to work for an airline. And I said, what? Uh, you know, I'm running a business. Why would I go and work for an airline? And he's like, well, your business slows down in the wintertime. Delta Airlines needs people in the winter because all the snowbirds come from the Northeast to Florida. And then they need part-time people. You can still run your business, but you only go to work for four or five hours a day and you fly for free. And wow. I said, you fly for free? I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and so he goes, yeah, here's an application, fill it out. So I sat on it for a couple of weeks and he goes, Hey, Jim, you never brought the application back. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get to it. So I ended up doing it. They called me and they sent me to Atlanta for an interview. I remember this like it was yesterday. And um, they said you had to be at the airport at 4.30 in the morning. And I love mornings. I just hate waking up for them. And so <laughs> get, getting to the airport, uh, we, we, we call those O-Dark 30 flights. You, you guys have been on them. And Anytime. so I, I show up on, to, to the airport all excited. You know, here I'm going to Atlanta for an interview. And uh, I go up there. I have my interview at 730 in the morning. I'm back at the airport by 830. But guess what happened that day? Kind of a big day. Eastern Airlines went out of business. I remember that day. And so here's Jim and 15 other people that he traveled up with at 4.30 in the morning to Atlanta, Georgia was stuck. I was there. I was at the airport until midnight the next, that same day till midnight wow. and still trying to get on flights. And I, I remember this guy coming up to us early in the afternoon. We'd been bumped on all these flights. And he said, he goes, Hey, uh, I used to be a high mileage flyer with um, Eastern and Delta's given me this crown room membership and I can bring guests in. He goes, you guys want to join me? They have free food and free drinks. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've already blown through like the hundred bucks I brought in my pocket on food and, and, you know, drinks and what have you. So we went in the crown room and the only lady that didn't go into the crown room, she goes, we're prospective employees. You can't go in the crown room. And I'm like, lady, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going in the crown room with these guys. And she's the only one that didn't get hired. And so they, wow. it, I, I ended up getting going back and I Delta called me and I almost didn't return their call because I didn't want to go to work for them. I'm like, if that's, that's how fiasco. they, yeah. if, if that's how they treat their employees, you know, why, why would I go? But they were a wonderful company. I had a long, fruitful career with Delta. I worked my way through operations. I lived in five cities in four years, including New York. Um, and I saw the world. I have nothing but great things to say about Delta. They're going through some tough times like all of us are in this business, but they will survive. Uh, they know how to survive and they'll do the right things. So um, after bankruptcy in 2007, I was recruited to go to work for Turner Broadcasting. So I feel like I left Delta in better shape than I found them. I, I had my dream job. I was managing $200 million of corporate revenue. Um, I had the biggest account list you could even think about or dream about. I had traveled to almost every continent in the world, wow. but I, I wanted to not be an absentee dad and I wanted to be a father. And so my wife and I talked about it and I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to go to work for uh, Turner Broadcasting. I'll be home. So I did that and I left Delta. I left the job that I loved. And um, and so um, I, I had a fruitful career Love Delta. I love Turner Broadcasting. I loved everything that Ted Turner did and was all about. He was an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur at heart. And those are the people that they would try to hire because they didn't want to hire people that, that lived in this box. They wanted to hire people that weren't afraid about making mistakes. Don't make them again, but learn from your mistake and move on. And so I was there for 13 years and never thought about leaving um, uh, because, you know, I kind of thrived in that craziness with Turner Sports and CNN and charters and, and working with 
quality companies like like BLS. You guys are the best in your space Thank you, uh, Thank with, you. with ground transportation. I mean, you're family owned and operated. So when I when I left and Michael, I remember we were sitting down. You had a bunch of travel managers in Chicago the at GB uh, in Chicago at GBTA, yep. and you said. We're shocked you're leaving Turner. What yeah, are you no. doing next? And I said, you know, I don't know yet. I said, but my chief accounting officer has asked me to stay on through the end of the year. So, um, and wants me to hire me when I decided to leave. And so that's what I was doing. I was, I was, I was getting ready to hire Jim because who could fill the role that I did better than the person that did the job. Right. And so I told you, I said, Michael, I said, I'm thinking about some consulting work because I haven't, I, I feel like I've developed a niche in news and sports because it's the two hardest pieces of business in travel 100%. management. I mean, you know, I'm not taking discrediting people that work in insurance or pharmaceutical or uh, in manufacturing, but the entertainment vertical is so Nothing like it. difficult. Nothing. It's yeah. so nuanced. It's so nuanced. It's, it, it, it really is nuanced because the talent is never wrong. Yep. No matter what. Really? Really? You mean, I'm <laughs> just learning so much today, Jim. The family business and talent's never wrong. That's all news to me. The talent, you know that. The talent's never yeah. wrong. I, I used to call you guys, and, and whether it was your fault or not, you would be like, Jim, we're going to fix it. 100%. And, 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 it, and it may have not even been BLS's fault. It may have been the booking agent booked the wrong day. But, um, Are but you, you want to mute that shit? Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just Jim. glad it's not my fault. Yeah, no, same thing. You got to meet your line, bro. We'll yeah, put yeah. it on. Uh, you, you know, on. I, I had I had some fancy headsets like you guys did. I I, I pirated my son's gaming headphones. And Can't hear yourself at the beginning of this podcast. I couldn't hear myself, and I'm like, you guys, I got to go back to these little. We uh, were sitting. We were with we were with John Saunders. Shout out to Big John over at yeah. Fox. And it was there was a it was a dozen other people there. We had a ball. It was more. There was like two dozen people there. Yeah, and I was sitting across from you. And we were having the most ridiculous steak and lobster at the, bacon, in the bacon wrap, the bacon wrap scallops, the bacon wrap scallops. Oh. And we were having a ball. And we weren't talking any business. No. And then Jim's like, "I'm I'm opening my own consulting company." And I'm like, "Well, let's talk. call me no. the day that you open that up because I'm interested in using your services because yeah. the amount of people you know in this industry is second to none." Really, well, truly. You, you know what, you guys, you know what this industry is all about, not just travel. Tell, take, take a guess what the most single important thing in the travel business is. Relationships. Is what, the people. Boom. That yep. is yep. a number one. 100%. You, you have to build relationships. And as a child, my parents taught me to never burn a bridge because you never know when you might need to cross it. So it's a life lesson I've taken with 100%. me. For, forever and and you and you guys are the epitome of that Thank as you. far as building relationships with your clients so when you told me that i said michael let me finish my gig uh, i promised yep. i made a commitment to my senior leaders that i wanted to finish strong i knew i was gonna have to transition a new team which i worked my ass off for eight months i didn't know what i signed up for when i had to transition my responsibilities but i did it and i feel like i did it uh, my colleagues at uh, Warner Brothers and HBO were very, were, were very gracious. I, I, I love them to death. I wanted them to succeed because I knew they had expertise in their field, but they had no, they had heard me on conference calls throughout my 13 year career, uh, but they had no idea what they were about to step into with news sure. and sports. And I really wish they would have, I wish COVID would never have hit. I think, I, I know, no, well, none of us ever want a pandemic, a global pandemic to hit, but I didn't want it to hit. Uh, I, I, I hate that it hit because it has devastated our industry. It has yeah. devastated lives. It, uh, we've lost so many people and we're still in it. And, and, but what, what I wanted them to survive, I wanted the new team to survive postseason playoffs. I wanted them to survive living through the conventions, a political campaign. I wanted them to survive all of this because they would have been bulletproof going forward after this year. They could have tackled, and they still will. They'll tackle anything. So I wanted them to succeed, and that's what I'm all about. I wanted to make sure that they could stand up on their own two feet, handle whatever news came at them, whatever sports came at them, and, and move forward, and then I could move on. Mm -hmm. So I remember I took the holidays off, to be with my family, 
I didn't sleep with my phone. Thank God I could get rid of the phone. I almost wanted to throw it in the river because I, I was so sick of that phone and my family was sick that I had to have that phone all the time because I was in a reactive job. And so I said, when my son goes back to school, he goes to a, a Christian school here in, in Atlanta. And when he goes back to school on January 6th, I'm already gonna know what I wanna do going forward. And my dream, I sold my wife and she still is like, are you sure that that's, that's a solid decision? Because, you know, there's benefits with a major company that I worked security, for. Absolutely. There was security. There was a salary. I knew what I was doing each day. I knew when my vacation was. But you know what? I have that entrepreneurial spirit. And I knew that I had the work ethic to be able to build something bigger and better and help people because I like to give back. Um, I, I, my companies that I work for Delta and, and Turner Broadcasting always gave me the ability to volunteer out my community, uh, with my church, with, in my community, but they also allowed me to participate with GBTA. And so I served on boards. I served on the GBA, GBTA foundation, which was all about education. I served on that for two and a half terms. I served on aviation committees. I served on my entertainment colleagues, always wanted to recruit me to serve on the entertainment committee. And I never got that ability. And hopefully one day I will. Uh, I served on some advisory boards and I helped mentor people because I had important mentors to me because uh, speaking of oh, the devil, it's CNN. I, 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 it's CNN. <laughs> Anderson, you'll have to hold. I no longer work you're, there. You're on with Oaken Bros now. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, um, I, I, I knew that I could do something bigger and better. And when we had that conversation, you followed up with me on January 5th and said, Wilkins, are you ready to talk? And I said, I'm ready to talk. Amazing. So we, we started talking and I, I opened a business called JSW Travel Consulting. Uh, JSW is my initials and my son, my 11 year old son, I couldn't be more proud of straight A student, but guess what? He loves to travel. Oh, he, awesome. He, he's been to more places in his 11 years than I was when I was 40. And uh, so anyway, uh, so my initials are his same initials because that's another story we'll get into at another time. So that was the name of the consulting business. He helped me uh, come up with my logo. He helped me with so many different things. And so did, my, so did my wife. And uh, because family, number one, is so important. So Michael, you and Eric, and Kevin, your CFO, and Phyllis, your mom, the leader, the CEO, and chairwoman of the company all got on the phone. We pounded out a deal. I flew to New York. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. That was like one of the best dinners I've ever had in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare 650. That was amazing. Yeah, we, we, we went. You, you took me to the second best steak dinner that right. I've ever had. Because, <laughs> right. and, and, I, and I'd never been on Long Island. So uh, you guys sent me a beautiful uh, Escalade that picked me up and a driver. And I went into the city. It happened to be Frank Prada's birthday that day. So I got to spend some time with shout Frank, out to Frank. Frank. Yeah. Shout out to Frank. And, uh, he took over, he was the best person to take over and jump into my responsibilities. Cause it, the man's actually amazing. Uh, and, and, and has been with HBO for many years and he learned from the best with Victor Oliveris and what shout, out to, shout out to Victor too. Another great Vic, guy. Vic, uh, Vic, Victor, they're, they're my brothers. They're my yep. band of brothers. Yep. And, um, so I flew up to New York, we, we cut a deal. And so I became your uh, consultant because you know why I believed in you guys. I worked with you for 13 years and I knew that organically I could go in and say, BLS is a company you want to do business with. And, and you know what? I'll never forget this for as long as I live. You guys showed me your true colors, not for the 13 years that you were my supplier and partner in business. I watched you guys in action through COVID and I saw how your business went from this thriving, successful business that you built over the last 40 plus years, almost 50 years to going down and having one ride. That one ride happened to be with CNN. So yep. shout out yeah. to, to yeah. my, to believe my it or not, there, CNN, 
CNN went through this, you know, the news never stops. Thank God for the news during COVID because there was some revenue coming in and it was all from the news networks. One ride was better than none. But you you know, I saw you guys, how you treated your employees, because I'm not an employee of BLS, but I, I, I am proud to be affiliated with you guys because of how, number one, you performed in business for the 13 years that I knew you. And Michael, you and I go back from day one. 100%. And, and, I, told, and, uh, I called you to tell you we were opening in Atlanta. Yep. I called you. I said, Jim, what do you think about BLS opening Atlanta? There's a huge production market for us down there. Local companies that we, you know, we've been trying to bid for for a long time. Yep. And you said it was the smartest thing we could have done. I also, and it was. Wanna, I also want to add that. Jim's expertise where he he's coming to us as a buyer where it's not uh, only yeah. just introducing us to other you know to, to other people in in the travel industry he came when we were building a out perspective. Our, a new perspective and when he came and we were building out our covid-19 protocols and he he was on the phone with us every single day especially when it was you know darkest before the dawn yep. he was there with us every step of the way and he helped us tremendously build out this program and just come from a different perspective which we've never had before so for that i you know i thank you and we we couldn't be happier to have you on team bls um in any capacity so it it really was amazing well like i said i i trust and i believe in you guys you know out of when i was i had my energy conservation company i had a guy that said I see something in you that I would like you to come to work for me selling insurance. Nothing against the insurance industry, but I hate stroking that check every month, um, you know, for insurance. And my oldest brother always told me, he's like, look, you stroke the check so nothing happens. And you guys have the biggest insurance policy in the industry with $11 million that if something does happen, you hope that it doesn't, but if it doesn't happen, I'm sure you hate stroking that check too. But um, so I couldn't go to work in the insurance business because I didn't want to be that guy that was taking something from somebody that they hated to do. And, you know, so anyway, going, going forward, um, we, you, we, have, we, you have other vendors too, right? You're yeah, working- so, so I, I I thought to myself, I said, I need to put food on the table. Uh, I have uh, a son in private school and that's, so I'm paying college tuition at, uh, for his whole school career. And now then I have to put him to college, but then my wife and I have a nice lifestyle and we want to still keep that. Sure. So I, I signed another contract with another uh, supplier don't like that word vendor because you're not vendors, you're suppliers and you're partners to people. And, um, and so I, I went uh, to uh, Al Polygonia with Apollo jets because they got me out of more. Yeah. Shout out to guy because they, they, they worked their magic. You guys worked yours. So now I do uh, business development work for, for Apollo Jets. And COVID has, we've hit this roadblock, you guys, and business hasn't come, come in like we thought it would, but it will. We, we will survive this. This industry, confident. Th- this industry is so resilient that we're going to come back stronger, better, and the, and the players that survive, because you guys have been through this. Airlines have been through this. And you guys... You, you saved your money for a rainy day, and that's why BLS is still around. That's why you'll still thrive. That's why Apollo Jets is still around. 100%. And, and, and you know, there's other good airlines out there like American Airlines and, and uh, Southwest and, and, and United. But Delta, you know, I'm, I'm partial to Delta. Sure. I'll always be an alumni from, from Delta Airlines. So, so I have a special place in my heart for them. Um, and I hate to see the layoffs going on. In the industry, it, all, my, a lot of my hotel colleagues that were so instrumental with those relationships that I had, and I see them out of work. They're going to work in other industries, but you know what? Our business, our industry is going to come back. It's going to come back stronger, and it's going to thrive. It's just going to take a little time, and we've had to do different things. You guys put dividers in your cars. 100%. What a brilliant idea to do that! To even if it just increases safety by five percent between. You're the, the passengers and the drivers, you're worrying about your employees. 100%. You're worrying about your passengers. You, you have the same technology spraying inside of your car that Delta does. Delta has blocked middle seats. So there's space between people. And so good companies are making right decisions. They're making capital investments that are keeping people safe. Because you know what? As a buyer, at the end of the day, my son often asked me, what do you do, daddy? And I, and I summed it up and I said, Jaden, 
I said, Daddy and his team get people home safely. 100%. It's what we do. It's what we do. There's a a lot of other stuff that goes into that. So, um, So I didn't stop there. I still wanted to be a buyer. I've spoken on BTN panels as buyers. I've given back to the industry. I've spoken on panels with GBTA. Um, uh, Richard Quest, a shout out to my buddy Richard at CNN. He has done training seminars at GBTA on aviation because he uh, he, he does a money segment with CNN, but he also does uh, an, an aviation segment. And we got to get Richard on this. Richard be would be a scream. Let's you guys, you, you guys, yeah. your stomach, your stomach would would hurt because you would laugh so much uh, through, through, through that it. interview. Introduce so, us, Jim. Introduce yeah, us. But I still have. Uh, I have I have uh, anchors and correspondents and employees at Turner Broadcasting and CNN that I'll treasure forever. Uh, like Dana Bash, she's on. She's a White House uh, correspondent. Uh, Anderson Cooper, Chris Cuomo. You, the list goes on. There's some there's some great people at CNN. But so that's behind me now. But hey, we still want their business. So whether it be DC, Atlanta, LA. Or even in Dubai, where they land for a crazy news story. I don't know if you guys have Hummer, Hummers, uh, uh, Humvees, and and Baghdad make, or not. We can make that happen. And they have they have dividers in them too. How do you and like they that? have dividers. So um, so anyway, I had I was checking up on people on LinkedIn, which is a powerful social media tool, and you guys use it all the time. Yeah. And uh, it, it's incredible reach uh, that that you, you can get to travel managers and suppliers and everybody in between and every vertical in, in, in this, um, in, in, the, in this crazy world that we live in. But, um, so we ended up, um, I reached out to Andy Menkes from PTC partnership travel consultant. You just had him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was a great podcast. You guys were laughing your asses off. He's fun. And, And so Andy is another one that is, has this incredible, I even have his shirt on. And the reason I don't have your shirt on is you guys never sent me one. So I don't have a BLS shirt. I told him. Use them. Yeah. We'll we'll get them. So so we use them up. Yeah. Andy was, uh, had PTC for 19 years and then was recruited to go to work for a major travel management company. I believe BCD travel and was at the end of his contract. And when I reached out to him, he goes, what are you doing Wilkins? And because uh, I've always respected him in the industry, he's a he has so much institutional knowledge, like like you guys have in ground transportation. He has across airline segments, travel management companies. He's been a buyer, so he's he a has, travel. Or, he's a travel oracle. And there, there's not many. My mentor at um at at Turner that recruited me to go to work for Turner was was Bob McGurt. Many people know Bob, you know Bob. from the industry. Shout and, out to Bob and, too. And, and he, he was, many a times. He was a tough ass man. I'll tell you <laughs> what. He was a tough boss, but you know what? Tough bosses make you a stronger person. Hundred percent. So, but he taught me a lot in this industry that I always will value. There's some things I decided to do differently, but you know what, Bob? Bob was one like Andy had that well-rounded travel institution surrounding them, and so Andy said, "I don't know if it was fate or what what it was, but when you reached out to me, Jim, and you told me that you left your post at Turner and was starting consulting." He's like, I went home and did some soul searching and decided to put PTC back on the map. And plus, he didn't want to be working for somebody else when he would have celebrated his 20th anniversary. So PTC is going to celebrate their 20th anniversary next year. Amazing. Uh, and yeah. I decided to go to, to work under as JSW Travel Consulting, but as PTC. So I represent them. And what's cool about that is I wanted to keep an eye on the fire with my my fellow corporate buyers. So I'm going to be working with the largest Fortune 100 companies out there. You guys do business with many of them. So it really all complements each other of what I put together. And I can go to them on an unbiased thing and help source travel management companies and make the right buying decisions. I can help with airlines. I can help with hotels. And that's where we really key into the private aviation and the car services. Yeah, that that might go into RFP from time to time, but it's really something, it's a main part or a, a pillar of the program, but I don't see that there being a big discrepancy there. So gotcha. um, anyway, that's that's what I'm doing. 
Um, and um, I'm going to make it work. I have to make it work because I put food on the table. We and all do at this plan. point. At this yeah. point, we all do. So, Jim, where can people find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm affiliated with, with BLS and Apollo Jets. Um, you, you can reach out to LinkedIn is the best part. I'm on Facebook, uh, but that's more like to share family pictures and stuff. I know you finally guys jumped into the 21st what, century what with, with my Facebook. What if what I'm one weekend and I have over a thousand I was friends. My kids started school today. I was posting pictures of my kids going to school. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I know. I'm exactly. part of the club. Now. I'm part of the club now. You're part of the club. So I was going to, I was going to post a picture. My son was crawled into, I said, Alice, go crawl into the corner. I'll say, this is your first picture of school. <laughs> so he like, he hunched over. He's like hunched over in the corner. Yeah. So and my mom's like, is he okay? I'm like, ah, it's just a joke, man. It's all good. But so, yeah, today's the first day of school, but Jim, Jim you, you are a you. rock star. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. This was amazing. This was great well, stories. Well, I hope that it gives a lot of people value and, uh, and some entertainment. Uh, so we appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Everybody. Likes. Well, Jim had, a, Jim had something else to say. Yeah, I, I, I had one, one, one last thing to say. And, you know, uh, you can go to blsco.com, apologets.com, but PTC has a website. It's partnership travel. It's partnership T as in travel, C as in consulting.com. So you can find me several different ways. But guys, it's been an honor. I, I've watched your podcast. You've had some great people on Thank this you. podcast. Thank so you. I, I feel like you've made me now an alumni of the Ocone Brothers podcast. 100%. You will be on again. I think we got to get you and Andy on at the same time. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, but we need yeah. drinks then. Jimmy, oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, gotta, you know, we'll do we'll do a live one. We could do a live one. That'd be awesome. It, yeah. It's got to be happy hour. You know, I I have my my shake here. Your that kale I have smoothie. Your yeah, kale my kale smoothie. smoothie. <laughs> you know, we, we have to do what we have to do, guys. Listen, everybody, yeah, like, you. subscribe, comment, and share. We appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Jim, hang on one second before we log off. You got it. Love.